Tonight we're going to return to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we will begin uh, at verse 41. Psalm 119, verses 41 to 48 will be our text tonight. Page 607 in the Pew Bibles, you will see the word, well, it looks like wow with an A. Uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced vav. The W uh, makes the V sound, and that is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, we're in the sixth stanza, and in the Hebrew, every verse in this section begins then with that Hebrew uh, letter Vav, and the Vav often um, can be translated a, a number of ways, actually. It's kind of like and or uh, then, uh, for, you can see those, um, you can see some of the verses begin with those words. Those are all ways uh, that you can uh, translate the Vav. Uh, and actually, when we were talking about in the mornings, Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, and I, I said that, you know, they might be the same person and a lot of times in between Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, when they're written together, uh, the Vav is what connects them. And there's different ways to translate the Vav, which is why, uh, which is why there's, we're not entirely sure if they're the same person, but one way we could conceivably translate the Vav is, is as that is. So when you have Darius the Mede, Vav, Cyrus the Persian. It could be Darius the Mede, that is Cyrus the Persian. And so that's one way we could take that, and that's uh, just kind of, that's a free lesson in Hebrew. So, anyway. I'm going to read, yes, verses 41 to 48. This is what we read here, God's Word. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I delight, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together before we look at this section of Psalm 119. Our Lord and our God, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to come and sit under the teaching of your Word. Uh, Father, we we ask that you would help each and every one of us uh, to be humble and attentive and um, receptive students. Uh, that you might be, enable us to learn that which you'd have us learn tonight. And Father, knowing that I forgot to pray for Jen in the prayer a moment ago, we do pray for Jen Van Heitzma as well. And we do pray that if it be your will, um, you would take her to be with yourself soon and that you'd continue sustaining the family as they uh, are by her side. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, let me ask you tonight, how, how does one come to know the love of God. How does one come to know the love of God? I mean, we speak often about God's love. We speak often about God being a God of love. But how does a person come to know for himself or herself 
the love of God? How does a person come to experience the love of God? How, how does a person come to say, God loves me? Well, the answer uh, to that question is given to us in the first verse of the sixth section of Psalm 119. There in that first verse, the psalmist says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Now, the second half of verse 41 uh, expounds upon and elaborates on the first half. And so, when the psalmist says, your salvation according to your promise, he's telling us exactly how it is that the Lord's steadfast love will come to him. It's in salvation. And we see this thought uh, throughout the Scriptures. What is the great act of salvation in the Old Testament? It's God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. And what is it that this great act of salvation revealed most poignantly? What is it that this great act of salvation showed God's people most clearly? Well, according to the writer of Psalm 136, the whole episode revealed the truth of God's love. You know Psalm 136 repeats a common refrain, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever, right? The psalmist is saying in that great act of deliverance, which God brought about for His people at the Red Sea, we see the truth of God's love. We see this in the testimony of David as well. David experienced the Lord's salvation on numerous occasions throughout his life, especially in those years when he was on the run from King Saul. And in Psalm 57, we read a psalm that David wrote after he had fled from Saul into a cave. And this is what David writes in Psalm 57, verse 3. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends His love and faithfulness. Right, so, at the beginning of the verse, David says, God sends His salvation from heaven. And at the end of the verse, he says, God sends His love and faithfulness. So, which is it, David? Did God send His salvation from heaven or did God send His love and faithfulness? We know it's both. In sending His salvation from heaven, David experienced God's love and God's faithfulness. So, how does a person come to know and experience the love of God? Well, they experience the love of God in salvation. Of course, all of these things find their fullest expression in the New Testament, don't they? And at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that in Romans 5.8 when he says, but God shows His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God shows His love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God show us His love? 
He shows us His love in salvation. He shows us His love at the cross. It's not by looking at our bank account. You don't look at your bank account and say, oh, God loves me. Some of us would think the opposite, wouldn't we? God hates me. It's not by looking at how many friends you have. It's not by looking at the amount of children or grandchildren you have. It's not by looking at the beautiful property you own. Those things are not the measure of God's love. Sometimes on social media, I'll see Christians take a picture, their beautiful house, their beautiful children, the new car they just purchased, and then under it they'll write, hashtag blessed, and it makes my skin crawl. Because it makes it seem like it's those things, and I I trust their heart's in the right place, and I need to be careful, right, to bring any charge against God's elect, but, but, but it makes it seem like those things are the evidence of God's love, right? And if you don't have those things, you don't have the new car, you don't have the beautiful house, you don't have the beautiful children, you don't have all the grandchildren around you in the photo, well then perhaps God doesn't love you, at least not like He loves that person. You are not if you don't have those things, hashtag blessed, if you know what I mean. Of course, God's love, if God's love is bound up in what we have, well, then he sure doesn't think much of those folks in Africa, does he? Nor does he think much of those folks in Central America who have very little. Of course, we know that's baloney. That is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is no gospel. The only way anyone can know the depths of God's love is in salvation. It's at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is true. It is true that once we know and experience God's love and salvation, we will see His love in other things as well, both good things but bad things too, the Bible says. We should see God's love in all of those things. But let us never think that we can know or measure God's love by anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ. How does a person come to know the love of God? The answer is in salvation. That leads to a second question. What happens to the person who comes to know the love of God in salvation? That is, what effect should we expect the love of God to have on us? Well, in the remaining verses of this sixth section of Psalm 119, the psalmist tells us what effect the love of God has on him. And there are three effects that he notes specifically. First, he tells us that the love of God causes him to speak the truth. In verse 43, he prays that the word of truth will not be taken from his mouth. But before that, he, he, uh, but before that and after that, I should say, he tells of speaking the truth to two groups of people in particular. The first group of people whom he speaks the truth to are those who taunt him. You can see that in verse 42. Then I shall have an answer for the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. He's saying the love of God in his heart enables him to speak the truth to his enemy, to the one who taunts him, to the one who persecutes him. When I read this, I'm reminded of Martin Luther. I'm sure I've told this story 800 times uh, any good, solid reform pastors told the story a hundred times, right, Marcusy? Certainly, the Diet of Worms story. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll probably tell it eight hundred more if you let me stick around that long. But uh, Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms in 1521, 
and he was told by the Holy Roman Emperor to recant everything he had said uh, against the Roman Catholic Church. And what did Luther do? Well, to put it simply, Luther gave an answer to the one who taunted him. This is what he said, "'Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require from me a clear, simple, and precise answer, I will give you one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to councils, because it is clear to me as the day that they have frequently erred and contradicted each other.' Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, that is, unless I'm persuaded by the means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they render my conscience bound by the Word of God, I cannot and I will not retract it. For it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen." Maybe one of the biggest miracles ever to take place on this earth since Jesus walked it was the fact that Luther didn't have his head cut off right there. But the love of God caused him to speak the truth to his enemy. It caused him to speak the truth to one who ridiculed him for his faith. And the psalmist says the same thing, right? Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I have trusted in your word. The love of God also causes the psalmist to speak God's truth before kings. You can see that in verse 46. When I read this, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul who stood before kings. King Agrippa uh, is the one who specifically comes to mind, and this is what Paul says, "'So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven.'" first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. I am not saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And you remember, King and Festus, they looked at Paul, they said, Paul, you've lost your mind, didn't they? You've lost your mind. Paul says, I have not lost my mind. But God's love in his heart enabled him to speak the truth to kings. The love of God causes us to speak the truth of God, whether it is before our enemies, before those who taunt us, or before high and mighty kings. Second, the psalmist tells us that the love of God has caused him and causes him to walk in obedience. We see that in verses 44 and 45. He says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought out your precepts. Let me ask you, what is the role of obedience in the Christian life. Sometimes I ask young people that when they come in. If I'm like a little edgy, you know, sometimes you give young people just softballs, you know, what's the cross about? What's the Bible? You know, and sometimes you're like, you know, you've had a bad day, so you take it out on the kids and you're like, you know, are you a superlapsarian or are you an infralapsarian? What's the role of the law in the Christian life? No. That one they should be able to get. What's the role? Anyway, that is a question I sometimes ask. The super and infra stuff I've never asked. But um, what's the role of the law in the Christian 
life. It's not to curry the Lord's favor. It's not to somehow earn the Lord's love. It's not to somehow get on the Lord's good side. No, obedience, obedience is the Christian's grateful response to having received God's love in Christ. Obedience is the Christian's response to God's salvation and to God's deliverance. Don't ever forget when God gives Israel His law. It is not before the Red Sea, it is after the Red Sea. It was after He saved them, after He delivered them from Egypt. Obedience is our grateful response to salvation. It's our grateful response to the love of God in Christ. And the psalmist here gets that. He realizes that it's when the Lord's steadfast love comes to him, it's then that he will keep God's law continually forever and ever. Of course, we ought to notice as well that God's love will cause us to walk in obedience. God's love will cause us to keep His law. It's not like God's love will have that effect on some Christians, but not other Christians. No, God's love has that effect on all Christians. God's love poured into our hearts changes our hearts, and it makes us into new people. This is why the Apostle John writes quite plainly, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The love of God will have that effect on the people of God. It will cause us to walk in obedience. That's why Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. Before we move on to that third thing, I do want us to notice the image set forth in verse 45. There, after saying he will keep God's law continually, the psalmist says, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought out your precepts. I think that is just a great image. Imagine you're walking through a narrow trail in the woods. On each side of you, there's just thick stuff. Trees, briars, all the stuff you walk through when you go grouse hunting with Ben, all that stuff is just you can't see anywhere, and, and the canopy above you is so thick, you can't, you can't see the sky, and it's just kind of claustrophobic, right? And then suddenly you, you come out into a wide open, expansive meadow, and there's grass, and there's wildflowers, and there's blue sky above. According to the psalmist here, that's what keeping God's law is like. That's what walking according to God's law is like. It's like coming into a wide open space, a beautiful, expansive meadow where you can like run and jump and catch butterflies. And if you're my kids, put them in a jar with no holes so they're dead three minutes later. But it's where you can do all of that stuff. James speaks about the perfect law of God that gives freedom. The psalmist here is simply putting an image to that truth. The law of God brings freedom. Our sinful nature tells us that the law of God is narrow and constricting and oppressive. The Bible says differently. The law brings freedom. Those who walk according to the law, they walk in wide open spaces. Finally, the psalmist tells us that the love of God causes him to love God's word. You see that in verses 47 and 48. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. He loves God's Word. What will those who love God's Word do? Well, 
according to verse 47, they'll find obeying God's word to be a joy. And according to verse 48, they will, they will meditate upon God's word. They will study God's word. And I hope the reason is, the reason is clear. Why? Those who know the love of God will love God's word. When I, when I was younger, I was a huge Red Wings fan. Still am a Red Wings fan, but I've grown up. I've reigned in my obsession a bit, and they're not nearly as good as they were when I was younger. Maybe I'm a fair weather fan. I don't know. But when I was younger, I was obsessed. And of course, I had, I had some of my favorite players. Sergei Fedorov, Brennan Shanahan, and everybody loved Steve Eiserman. And to this day, I did not have to go to Wikipedia. I could have. I did not have to go to Wikipedia to tell you this. To this day, I remember that Steve Eiserman's birthday is on the 9th of May. That's what, I loved these guys. And so what did I do? I devoured everything I could get my hands on that would help me know who these guys were in real life because that's kind of what you do when you really kind of love somebody and you're a kid. Well, those of us who know God's love ought to find ourselves really having a similar relationship with Him, don't you think? We ought, to, we ought to find ourselves wanting to know him, wanting to find out everything we can about him. Right? Steve Eiserman scored a game-winning goal from the blue line in game seven, but God redeemed me <laughs> through the blood of his son. You think I'd want to gobble up everything I can about him? How does one do that? It's through his word that any one of us does that. It's through God's word that we come to know what God is like. It's through His Word that we come to know how He would have us worship Him and serve Him. It's through His Word that we come to see how God is at work in our lives and how God is at work in this world. It's through God's Word that we come to, to know the depths of His love in Christ. And you get the point. The love of God causes us to love God's Word and to seek out this God who loves us in and through His Word. Friends, let me ask you in closing. Have you seen the love of God have a similar effect on your life as the psalmist saw it having on his have you seen the love of God move you to speak the truth? Whether it's to your children, to a coworker, to a neighbor, to a friend, to an enemy, to a king. Have you seen the love of God cause you to live a life of obedience? Do you have this night a desire in your heart to live a life that is pleasing to God in light of the cross of Jesus Christ? You truly desire, in view of God's mercy, to be a commandment keeper. Have you seen the love of God cause you to have a deeper appreciation for and desire for and hunger for God's Word? Has the love of God made it so that you want to gobble up everything you can get your hands on in order that you might learn about this God and know this God? Have you seen the love of God? have a similar effect on your life? I asked myself that question as I was putting this all together, and 
I guess my answer is probably yes and no. Yes, because to a degree I can say that God's love in Christ has moved me to speak His truth. And it has caused me to, to walk in obedience. And I, I feel, I can see a desire in my heart to, to walk in obedience. And it has made me a student of the Scripture. But I have to say no as well because I know. I know that my speaking God's truth and I know that my obedience and I know that my hunger for God's Word, although it's there, it leaves a lot to be desired. And that's because sin remains in my heart. Sin which, with God's help, I must continually confess and turn away from through faith in Jesus Christ in order that I might more and more live a life that is pleasing to God and even more a life that is befitting of the one who knows His love. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for the love which You have made known to us in Christ and at the cross. Having seen the effect that Your love had upon the psalmist, we confess that too often it does not have this same effect upon us. No, Lord, all too often our sinful hearts remain cold in their service to You. And so we ask again tonight that You would forgive us for our sins. And we ask that you would heal us from our sin, and we ask that you would enable us in the week ahead to walk in newness of life by the power of your Holy Spirit within us. We ask that you'd enable us to live as people who know your love. For Jesus' sake, amen. Why don't you uh, stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song together. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. closing song is number 67 in the blue book. Is the love of God, number 67. And we'll sing verses 1 and 3, Carlene, verses 1 and 3 of number 67. <clears throat>